Happy spring, everybody. Cancel culture comes for Christian comedy. COVID truth keeps seeping out. We will show you. There's hope for young men who love Jesus and young ladies as well, but mostly for young men. I'll show you that too. And our cultural elites have great advice on how to deal with $5 gas, and you won't believe what they suggest. This is your favorite night of the week, The Deep End on Tim Hedge, live Hello, hello, everybody. This is The Deep End. This is a a show on culture, commentary of what's going on from a Christian perspective, from a pastoral perspective. My name is Tim, your somewhat humble host. It is season five, episode 21 of The Deep End on youtube.com slash Tim Hatch Live. And if you would do me a favor, hit that like button, hit that subscribe button, hit that notification bell so that you can always get notified on your smartphone like I do when we go live, which is why I just got notified that we're live. (laughs) You know, it's time for a deep end follow-up. I've been doing a lot of talking about the craziness of our culture, and we're going to get into some more craziness today, as we always do on this show. Um, But we've been talking a lot about the craziness of the, the gender, transgenderism, you know, identifying as whatever you want, ism, however you want to uh, talk about it. It, We're going to do a little bit of a deep end follow-up. Uh, because last week I talked about the don't say gay bill, this which is not actually a bill about not saying gay in Florida. It's actually a bill designed to protect parents and their rights because it's called the parental rights bill. Uh, we talked about how Disney is cowering to the pressure from the cultural elites and the LGBT squad to oppose this bill that restricts teachers from hiding sensitive information from parents concerning their kids' gender, identity, sexual preferences, all that nonsense g- lingo that has been recently invented. Of course, it only limits that ability up to the third grade. So yeah, the trans teacher can't come out to your ninth nine-year-old. That's what, that's what the bill's stopping. This hideous, heinous, horrific bill. <laughs> Ridiculous stuff, right? Well, I, I've been telling you guys repeatedly why I do this show. That I want you informed so that when the cultural tide comes to your shores of your own life, you're ready. And I love when I hear that people are ready, they see it coming, and when the wave comes crashing on their shores, boom, they beat it back. <laughs> just a little, just a little. I know we can, we're not going to stop it. We're not going to stop it because people be people, sinners be sinners. But this week uh, at church, after I preached, a lady in my church who loves the deep end, loves the channel, shared with me the story of her um pregnancy doctor appointment. I don't know what you want to call that. Whatever. She went to the doctor. She's pregnant with twins. Her name is Megan. She told me the story of when she heard that cultural lingo come her way, she said something. And I've been telling you this. If you see something, say something. If you see something, say something. If you experience something, push back. You have a right. For heaven's sakes, you're a person. You're a Christian and you have a voice and you need to say something. So anyway, She's at a doctor's appointment, and this happens at a hospital in Boston, Massachusetts called (laughs) Women and Infants Hospital. Women and Infants is in the name of the hospital, and this happens. Watch. Hey, guys. So I was asked this week by Pastor Tim to send um, a little selfie video on um, just my experience on something that happened um, recently, Um, kind of pretty much like what's going on 
in the world and how victim-y the world is right now. Um, so I am currently pregnant with twins. So I was at Women and Infants um, being checked out um, <clears throat> last week or two weeks ago. And the nurse came in and she asked me what I identify as. I, I, I literally couldn't believe it. I looked at her and I said, are you really asking me what I identify as at a hospital called women and infants? Like, is that, is that real? Like I'm a, yes, I'm a woman at women and infants and I'm pregnant. So I'm most definitely a woman. I was so taken back by that. I looked at her and I, I said, I said, can you do me a favor? I was like, pull up on Amazon right now and try to order a shirt um, and tell me what options it gives you for sizes. Probably man and woman, right? Yeah, because that's all that there is. So I looked at her and I, I was so baffled. I said, I would like you to give me a lab coat because I want to identify as a doctor <laughs> and I really want my $175,000 salary now since I identify as a doctor, since it's that easy to identify as something that you're really not. You know, we live in a world that is absolutely insane right now. And, you know, even though that this seems so funny and so crazy, at the same time, it is so sad. Um, and it's definitely a time that it's so important to be so close to the Lord mm. and just so close to what, you know, he designed for us. He de designed us as man and woman, and that is it. And to see people identifying as animals and objects, it, it blows my mind. And it wasn't until I went to Women and Infants that I saw it firsthand that this is a real thing that happens in life. That people that are on a delivery, a labor and delivery unit, are being asked what they identify as in gender. It's, it's, it's sickening honestly, in my opinion. And I'm just so grateful that I am not part of this world, mm. that I am, you know, a child of God, a woman that worships the Lord, that has children that worships the Lord and knows that there's man and woman and there's no in between whatsoever. So yeah, that's it. And um, God bless everybody. Uh, thank you so much, Megan, for sharing your story. And guys, we are doing this show on a regular basis so that you Christians can be prepared for when these cultural tides come crashing up on your shores. And you're going to be able to say something and at least maybe at least find your voice because there's only a one-way street happening. There's only a one-way conversation happening. And Christians are just silently pulling back and shrinking back and not stepping up and saying something. Are they going to hate us? Yeah. Are they going to ridicule us? Yeah, maybe. Are they going to disagree with us? Sure. But this is still America. There's still such a thing as free speech. And you have to say something. Because if you don't, the, the, the crazies are the only ones that are going to say something. Which brings me to a conversation that I want to head into in just a moment. Well, not in a moment, right now. Cultural crazy is a one-way one street. Cultural crazy is a one-way street. Here's what I mean. You, you only get to influence culture today if you're completely crazy, a.k.a. Megan and her twins on the way. <laughs> um, they don't get to influence cra uh, culture. They get to be influenced by the crazies of culture, the doctors, the nurses, crazies. If you call out that crazy, you get banned from culture. So I want to show you an example, and I'm going to bring back an oldie but goodie segment of the deep end called This Week in Cancel Culture.
An example of the fact that cultural crazy is a one-way street. Again, only the crazies have any pull and any influence today, okay? Uh, Twitter has suspended the Babylon Bee's Twitter account for misgendering Dr. quote-unquote Rachel Levine. Uh, yes, this is ba the Babylon Bee, um, if you don't know, is a satirical website for Christians. Uh, you know, The Onion, maybe some of you are familiar with The Onion News Source as a satirical news site for everything. Well, The Babylon Bee started up about four years ago for Christians, mostly for making fun of sub subculture evangelicalism. And it makes light of our foibles and inconsistencies. And around 2015, it started to branch out beyond its evangelical subculture influence and go more mainstream. And they are really clever. In fact, they're so clever, they got Elon Musk's attention of Tesla. And he actually sat down with an interview uh, with, with the founders or the leaders of the Babylon Bee a couple of months ago. Fantastic interview. I recommend it highly. But they do have an, an incredible... Um, sense of what's going on in the world and how to poke at it. So like, you know, articles such as this, parents baffled that one hour of youth group a week is not effectively combating teens 30 hours on TikTok. <laughs> I mean, that's, you know, making fun of evangelical subculture or this one, 99% of Americans support sending Mitt Romney to fight in Ukraine. Uh, this one's one of my favorites. Jesse Smollett says he fears for his life as his attackers have been released. Or this one, AOC to vote against making daylight saving time permanent because she says Americans consume too much sunlight already. <laughs> uh, anyway, and then there's the more politically targeted study finds connection between believing Russia rigged 2016 election and believing 2020 election was foolproof, right? So they crossed a line, not with that one, but they crossed a line this past week with humor directed towards a member of the culture's untouchables. You know who they are. They are the alphabet gang. The alphabet gang, you cannot touch. You can make fun of Christians. In fact, you're encouraged to do so. You can make fun of um, atheists. You can make fun of Republicans, Democrats. You can make fun of, uh, you know, anybody you want. But you cannot make fun of the LGBTQIA LMNOP gang, okay? In the words of Dave Chappelle, no matter what you do in your artistic expression, you are never, ever allowed to upset the alphabet people. End quote. You know, Dave talks about how he jokes about the L's and the G's and the B's, but the T's are the only ones who hate him for the jokes he tells, and he can't stop telling jokes about the T's. Well, the Babylon Bee decided to tell a joke about the T's. And the joke was, this is what this was the tweet. I'll put the tweet, and then uh, Seth Dillon, one of the Babylon Bee leaders, uh, tweets in response to their suspension up on the screen. The tweet was, the Babylon Bee's man of the year is Rachel Levine. <laughs> it's kind of funny because Rachel Levine is a man pretending to be a woman who works uh, in the federal government's health department of all places. Uh, his name was Richard and now calls himself Rachel and pretends to be a woman, like I just said. The Babylon Bee named him man of the year. Now, this is a direct response to uh, USA Today and Time Magazine naming him one of their Women of the Year. And I kid you not, the USA Today named Rachel Levine, a man pretending to be a woman, woman, man, uh, sorry, woman of the year. This is, this is wonderful for women's rights, is it not? Anyway, uh, in response, Seth Dillon says that he received notice that he had been locked out of his account for quote-unquote hateful conduct. And they said he will, uh, he will serve a 12-hour suspension from Twitter on the Babylon B account only after he deletes the tweet. So he's got to delete the tweet because it's hateful because the T's can't take a joke and then serve a 12 hour um, suspension or prison sentence, if you will, from Twitter. Twitter's not real life. Let's just be honest. Um, 
you know, it's kind of funny that people more than ever are getting banned from Twitter for saying true things, or at least <laughs> exposing the insanity of our cultural moment. David Burge on Twitter uh, tweeted out, ever notice that you're more likely to be banned by Twitter for expressing an opinion held by 90% of the public than one held by 10% of the public? It's so true, right? Uh, Seth Dillon, the guys at Babylon Bee have refused to delete the tweet. They are holding firm and good for them. Good for them. But let's ask this question. What do we make of this? What do we make of this? I want to first tackle Twitter for a second. Remember that all social media companies are run out of California. They're all, they're all located, you know, in California where, where kids typically arrive after they have run away from mom or dad or some divorce situation in their family to find family, purpose, meaning, fame, fortune, friends, whatever. So most of these companies, Twitter, Facebook, uh, social media companies, are dominated by LGBT people. They're LGBT people mainly, mostly because of father and mother issues. I guarantee you that's really the sociological impact of these people. Well, Jordan Peterson also talks about their high creativity brains also provide this kind of like ability to kind of cross over into how the other sex thinks. And so some people take it too far. Anyway, uh, that's for another discussion. But they're in this self-contained echo chamber in California, in uh, you know the San Francisco Bay Area. Um, they're detached from reality, and they really have no ability to take a joke, and they're ultra-sensitive. But let's ask this question. The question that I have for you, dear Christians, is, is satire okay for Christians? And I want to answer that question, because some people on Twitter are saying that this is the Babylon Bee's suspension is actually just retribution for doing what Christians shouldn't do a.k.a. joke at the expense of others. And they like to suggest that Christians should never mock or make fun of others. And I agree that Christians should never mock or make fun of people based on real issues or normal and real handicaps. But my friends, these are not normal handicaps. These are not normal issues. And these are not normal times. They are crazy times. And it might be necessary for humor in crazy times. Otherwise, we'll all go mad. The Bible even says humor is great medicine. And the question again is, can Christians, you know, promote or enjoy satire? Joking, jestfulness, right? There is a proverb that talks about the guy waving firebrands around and, and he's like the man who says to his neighbor, you know, I was just joking. So we shouldn't ever joke. We shouldn't ever make fun of you. Let me take you to the Bible. Let me show you some men in the Bible who made fun of crazy people in their culture. Almost all of Israel was departing the faith of uh, Judaism, departing the faith of Abraham, and following the pagan cultural faiths around them, worshiping Baal and doing ridiculous things and uh, destroying their bodies sexually and socially around the time of a prophet named Elijah. This is in 1 Kings chapter 18. The prophet Elijah shows up, speaks for God, and he has a showdown with Baal's prophets on Mount Carmel. And while the prophets of Baal desperately try to get fire from heaven from their gods, which don't exist, Elijah sits there and mocks them. I bring you to First uh, Kings chapter 18, verse 26. It says, they took the bull that was given them and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning till noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice. No one answered. And they limped around the altar that, that they had made. And at noon, Elijah mocked them crying, uh, saying, cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he is musing or he is relieving himself. That is, 
<laughs> that is saying, oh, he's going to the bath. Your God's, your God's taking a dump, basically, is what Elijah says. Or he is on a journey. Or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. And they cried aloud and cut themselves with their custom with swords and lances until blood gushed out upon them. And no one answered and no one paid attention. Elijah mocked the crazy people of his age. Now, note, subnote, he did not mock the people affected by the insanity of Baal worship. He mocked the leaders of Baal worship. He was mocking the prophets of Baal. In every generation, there are godly leaders and satanic leaders. There are leaders who will lead you toward God and toward Christ and toward the, the resurrected Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And then there are those in the church and outside of the church who are vying for the sheep, trying to kill, trying to steal, trying to destroy, doing what the devil does, leading people into insanity and ultimately bondage. And we see it in every generation. Our generation is no different from any other generation. It's just we have more access to it because of our phones, okay? And so what, what are we doing here? What, what, we, what we need to do, what the Babylon Bee is doing really, is doing the exact same thing. They are mocking the leaders who are infecting this insanity into our society, and I don't think it's wrong. That's my opinion. You can feel free to disagree, but that's my opinion. In fact, I think it's important to call out nonsense when you see it because we are living in a world where we are expected to believe that men know what it feels like to be women. How on earth does a man know what it feels like? Just think about the, the idiocy of that statement. I feel like a woman. How, how do you know? You're a man. You're a biological man. You have a penis. You do not know what it feels like to be a woman. And especially when someone does that later in life, like Bruce Jenner, uh, you know, 50 years old. He's been living as a man for 50 years and suddenly he makes the transition to a woman and then claims all those 50 years of his manhood were a lie. W really? What? So if you were okay with a lie for the first 50 of your, years of your life, how do we know you're not okay with a lie for the rest of your life? Just, quite, just asking. We, we've got to call out nonsense when we see it because we are expected to believe that the 467th ranked male swimmer in the NCAA who suddenly decides that he's a she a few months ago and immediately starts competing against women to become the number one female swimmer in the NCAA nationally and this week won the 500 meter race or yard race for the NCAA title. We're expected to believe that that's actually truth. We're expected to believe that this is progress. This is good. By the way, he still has his nuggets if you're wondering. I'm thinking like in my back of my mind, way in the back of my mind, I'm thinking that this guy, uh, William Thomas, uh, is actually trying to play a huge joke on the culture. I don't know. I, it's possible that he's just playing this gig until he graduates or wins the Olympic gold in 2024 and then just announces, hey, I was just totally playing you. I was just trying to show you how insane the world has become. I don't know. I'm actually kind of hoping that's the case. It's happened before years ago. Christians might remember this. Music fans might remember this. There was a group called Insane Clown Posse. They wrote the most hideous death metal music on earth. And then a few, I think about 10 years ago, they came out and said that they were actually just faking the whole time. They were born again Christians trying to connect with lost people. 
I don't know. Anyway, uh, all I'm saying is that bigger facades have been presented before, and maybe that's what this is with William slash Leah Thomas. Who knows? Back to my original point. We're supposed to believe that this is progress. We're supposed to believe that this is good. This is human flourishing. Women are being erased at the hands of men who believe they're women. Young girls are missing out on scholarships. They're missing out on opportunities. They're missing out on money. Consider Jeopardy, the new highest money winning a woman ever on the game show Jeopardy is a man. Amy Schneider took that title away from a woman a few weeks ago. The 43-year-old Oakland software designer amassed $1.3 million in total winnings during her Jeopardy, his Jeopardy streak. He also admitted that he used his male voice in the game because it would be too difficult to use his feminine voice. Oh, isn't that, isn't that nice and convenient? I can be a man when I want and how I want and a woman when I want, how I want. And I've got, I've got carte blanche on all the opportunities afforded to both sexes and I can dominate any way I see fit. It's insanity and it's stupid. The game show for smart people has now embraced stupid. I want you to think about that. Some of you might be saying to me, gee, Tim, you're a pastor. We just heard from one of your constituents. This is very unloving for a pastor to do. I bring you back to my first point. You, for, well, actually, no. First, I say, you don't know how much I'm holding back. <laughs> There's a whole bunch of stuff that my brain would love me to say, but, you know, the Spirit of God doesn't allow me to. But second, I hate that kind of thinking. I hate the thinking that Christians always have to be nice. Like, one of the Ten Commandments is, thou shalt be nice. No, it's not. And my friends, Jesus was not nice. He was truthful. And sometimes the truth ain't nice. Sometimes the truth has to be spoken with conviction, with boldness, with courage to people who don't want to hear the truth, to people who hate truth and will hate the messenger of truth. People who are nice don't get crucified. People who are nice don't get stoned, whipped, sawed in two. This is the heritage of the Christian faith. Our founders of the faith, our forefathers of the faith, they suffered, they died because they refused to parrot the cultural mantras of the age and at times even called it out for what it was as they were commanded to as foolishness. What does Paul say in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 11? Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather what? Expose them, call them out, for it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. Do you understand that it's actually unloving for a pastor to tiptoe through the tulips for you, pretending this world is really on the right track? And when necessary, we should even be ready to mock the insanity of paganism when that paganism comes from our cultural leaders who hurt and deceive and confuse people. Someone has to state the obvious. I'm willing to do it. I'm absolutely sure that YouTube throttles this channel because I do it on a regular basis. So make sure that you like, subscribe, and hit that notification bell so that you never miss an episode. But Jesus called out the hypocrites of his day, the leaders who were hurting people. In Matthew 23, Strong words, mocking words, in fact. He calls the Pharisees and scribes and Sadducees sons of hell, whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. Or how about when Peter called out the crowds on Pentecost and said, you with your wicked hands crucified the Lord of glory. You with your wicked hands. Where are the preachers? Where are the preachers calling out wicked hands in our culture today? We need them now more than ever. Or how about when Paul, calls on those who demand circumcision to be saved. <laughs> In Galatians chapter 5, he literally says this. Galatians 5.12, I wish that those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves, cut their thing off. Paul is using cutting sarcasm to rebuke people who are leaders 
and are hurting God's people. And it can be God's people and it can be God, future God's people, unsafe people. We, we've got to speak truth because truth sets people free. Truth hurts, but then ultimately heals. He also used cutting sarcasm in 1 Corinthians 4, 8, when he said, already you have all you want, already you become rich, already you become kings. And would that we did reign, would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. That's all sarcastic language right there. And it's beautiful because sometimes sarcasm is necessary to get people's attention because they are that darkened by the lies of the age. It's really good for me because I'm a fan of sarcasm. And my wife, she kind of gets bugged by it. So I got to kind of tame it down at home. But let's go into the Old Testament a little bit more. Like, I love the prophet Amos. He, he didn't come from a prophet's family. He was actually just a, a sheep herder. And he was a prophet from the southern territory of Israel against the northern territory of Israel who was abandoning God. And he, and he castigates the women of northern Israel who were drinking margaritas in cosmos all day while their neighbors wallowed in poverty. Here's what he says in Amos chapter 4 verse 1. Listen to me, you fat cows living in Samaria. <laughs> Would to God we had one pastor who had that kind of guts. Listen to me, you fat cows in Samaria, you women who oppress the poor and crush the needy and who are always calling out to your husbands, bring us another drink. Please do not tell me that it is God's will for us to be nice. Loving? Sure. Gentle? Absolutely. But nice? No. Even the Bible's best men used cutting words to strike at the hearts of those who were or had grown indifferent to the truth. In my opinion, much of this madness in our country is the result of the cowardice in preachers and Christians who refuse to speak the truth in an age when it's not popular. While we have endless parades of pastors who preach messages on how to be rich, wealthy, healthy, sexy, and wise, to tickle our ears and stroke our egos, we have very few pastors who want to state the obvious truth in the face of glaring errors in our culture. And we need them now more than ever, if only to show God's sheep that there are still some who aren't willing to drink the cultural Kool-Aid, which is ironic because that phrase, don't drink the Kool-Aid, originated from the death of 800 people who drank the Kool-Aid, cyanide-laced Kool-Aid in Guyana in 1978 at the behest of a false preacher who was unwilling to tell people the truth. See, if we don't tell the truth to the sheep, the wolves will get them. Yeah. Cultural crazy is a one-way street and we need to call it out. Speaking of cultural crazy, let's do it. COVID crazy. If you have a physical covering with one layer, you put another layer on, it just makes common sense. Common sense. We've been patient, but our patience is wearing thin. Also, the science has changed. People should not be walking around with masks. You can cut expected deaths in half. Because I represent science. <laughs> this week in COVID crazy. Ah, yes, my favorite segment, COVID. This week in COVID crazy. Um, we're recovering from a two-year pandemic um, with so many articles coming out talking about the impact of the stupid insane policies of our leaders, of our civil shepherds, if you will. Um, 
CNN reports that alcohol-related deaths in the U.S. spiked more than 25% in the first year of the pandemic. So while we locked everybody down, we killed a lot of people in order to save a lot of people, which doesn't make sense anymore at all. CBS News reports that the mental health fallout in our country is astronomical. A quote from the article directly says, In a country divided on everything, roughly 9 out of 10 Americans agree the U.S. is in the grips of a full-blown mental health crisis, according to the USA Today Suffolk University poll. More than 140,000 children have lost a parent or caregiver to COVID, and the mental toll is astounding. There is a heartbreaking part of that article that talks about the family, one one particular family with two young girls. They lost their father to COVID during the pandemic, and of course, they couldn't go visit him in the hospital as he died and wasted away for two or three weeks. They couldn't go see their own father, and, and their father died alone. And to this day, the daughters cannot get over the pain and the hurt of that experience. Oh, and then there's this bit of news about COVID crazy. This from the Washington Examiner. See if you'll find this on the mainstream news outlets. Reported pediatric COVID-19 deaths plummet 24% after CDC fixes, quote, coding logic error. Uh, yeah, so a CDC spokesman named Jasmine Reed told the Washington Examiner the agency's algorithm was accidentally counting non-COVID-related deaths in the data tracker. Quote, an adjustment was made to COVID data tracker's mortality data on March 14th involving the removal of 72,000-plus deaths, including 416 pediatric deaths, deaths previously reported across 26 states because CDC's algorithm was accidentally counting deaths that were not COVID-19-related. She said, uh, working with near real-time data in emergency is critical to guide decision-making, but may also mean we often have incomplete information when data are first reported. So again, more and more of the truth keeps seeping out about COVID. And all we're learning is, again, that pretty much every other disease than COVID is far more dangerous for your child than COVID. <laughs> uh, so max, mask up kiddos at school while we enjoy the Super Bowl mask-free because cultural elites and celebrities live by different rules. It was a pandemic indeed. A pandemic of bad leadership, confusion, depression, manipulation, and isolation. Yes, that was the pandemic. COVID was not the big issue. But the question for you, the question for me, is how now shall we live? To quote the great Francis Shaver, how now shall we live in a world with so much cultural crazy? Because, I, again, I bring you to this content not to rile you up, but to point you to the scriptures because... This kind of thing, cultures sliding into oblivion, destroying themselves in their own pride, in their, in their thinking they became fools, Romans chapter 1, right? This is nothing new. Every uh, empire, every great state, every great world leader in human history has had their, their prosperity uh, lead them to pride and their pride lead them to self-degradation. And we, America, we will not have some kind of get-out-of-jail-free card here. We will not get a pass because we're no better than anybody else. And the point of this show is to remind you that we Christians are not of this world. And I thank God, as Megan did, every day more and more for that. I'm not of this world. My father has me in the palm of his hands. No man can pluck me out. Uh, every mouth that rises against me, I shall condemn. Uh, I, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world, that there are many more that are for me than those that are against me, that if God be for us, who can be against us? Amen, amen, amen. Oh, somebody get me a pulpit. I'm ready to preach, right? But that leads me to something. This is how now we shall live. This is how we shall live in the age of crazy. And I want to talk to you about some really good news. Really, really, really good. 
That's really good news. It's good. So the really good news that I have for you today is from thechristianpost.com, and the article states, working-class Christian boys with strong faith in God do better in school than less religious peers. Now, this article is based on another article that was um, a 20-year study out of the New York Times uh, by an author in the New York Times. And the article states that teenage boys from working-class families who regularly participate in their church and demonstrate strong faith in God are twice as likely to earn uh, bachelor's degrees as their moderately religious or non-religious peers. And it says the findings come even as data from the 2020 American Family Survey show that a striking minority, just 36% of parents believe churches are serving their sons well. So, you know, as our culture continues to think that the church is more and more irrelevant, the people who actually go to church and bring their families to church become far more successful compared to their irreligious peers. So again, like I said, this article, The Christian Pose, is based on an article that documented the findings of a Jewish woman named Alana Horowitz. She's an assistant professor of Jewish studies and sociology at Tulane University, and she writes in the New York Times, I followed the lives of 3,290 teenagers. This is what I learned about religion and education. This is from the New York Times. Once in a while, you know, every, every once in a while, a blind squirrel finds a nut. But she writes, American men are dropping out of college in alarming numbers. A slew of articles over the last year depict a generation of men who feel lost, detached, and lacking in male role models. The sense of despair is especially acute among working-class men, fewer than one in five of whom complete college. Yet one group is defying the odds. Boys from working-class families who grew up religious. And, and she even states in the article, she said, I, I relegated most of my study to Christian households because that's primarily what we find in America, which was another astounding admission. But nonetheless, she says, religious boys are not any smarter, so why are they doing better in school? The answer lies in how religious beliefs and religious involvement can buffer working class Americans, males in particular, from despair. And then she talks about this guy named John, not his real name, uh, as a case study. And she says throughout his teenage years, John regularly attended his local evangelical church and was active in his youth group. There were organized social activities like rafting and weekly gatherings at the minister's house to talk about what was going on in their lives. And then she goes on, being involved with his church reinforced biblical teachings, leading, to John, leading John to think of Christ as the person he most wanted to emulate. Most teenagers answer by referring to an actor, an athlete, or a family member, which is the first two answers are part of the problem we see systemically in our culture. She goes on, by observing how his parents and others in his religious community behaved, John learned to see God as someone he can talk to and tell personal things to. And then she writes this, among those raised in the working class, 21% of religious teenagers brought home report cards filled with A's compared to 9% of their less religious peers. So yes, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Hmm, isn't it wonderful when researchers and scientists discover that the Bible is true? Isn't it wonderful? <laughs> anyway, going on, she says, religious girls from working class families also see educational benefits compared with re less religious girls, but there are other factors that help them be academically successful outside of religion. Again, you know, I, I say this in my, my church all the time, and even here I've talked about it. Men matter, and men connecting with Jesus matters immensely, okay? And raising our boys to fear the Lord. Guys, look, fathers, listen to me. Get your boys in football and soccer and baseball, hunting, fishing, boating, the whole day. I don't, that's wonderful. Good. Give your boys fun because men love to have fun. But my word, never sacrifice church and God on the altar of fun and sports and the pursuit of those endeavors because men matter and men loving Jesus matters immensely.
Anyway, back to the article. She writes, religion doesn't just help boys from working class families during their teenage years. It also deters them from falling into despair in adulthood. Hello, hello. We can see this in the way John's life unfolded. In his early 20s, John stopped reading the Bible and no longer participated in his church community. Other parts of his life also started to fall apart. He dropped out of college and got arrested for marijuana possession. This was a wake-up call, and John decided to return to church. Within a few years, he managed to get his life back on track. John is now living with his grandmother, whom he cares for, and his girlfriend— well, that's not good. <laughs> Whom he plans to propose to. Well, that is good, but still. He believes that God has called him to serve others by working in the medical field. He returned to the community college and earned an AA while working as an EMT and plans to become a paramedic or a nurse. Like Gaylord Fokker. Anyway, uh, sorry, back to the article. He attributes much of this to his faith. In his final interview with researchers at age 26, John said, The most important thing in life to me is my family and my relationship with God or to God. Amen, John. And whoever you are. But this is good news, right? This is important news. This is stuff that I see firsthand as a pastor of a church, okay? This is stuff that I've seen play out time and time again. When a child is raised in the faith, doesn't Proverbs twenty two fifteen say, train up a child in the way that she, he, he or she should go, and when they are old, they will not depart from it, right? That, that there, is, there is a foundation to your life mentally, socially, emotionally, physically even, that church provides, that promotes prosperity and human flourishing. This is why I do this show, because we've got to call out and sometimes even mock the cultural leaders that are trying to undermine the truth of Christian faith, the truth of biblical um, wisdom that has shaped and propelled cultures to success at astounding rates, historically and uh, geographically. There is, no, there is a direct correlation between a nation's prosperity and its commitment to allowing the scriptures to be taught freely. There is a direct correlation to it. Why is America so blessed? Because America is this wonderful experiment where the civil government does not dictate the religious government. The religious government operates freely under the auspices of the civil government to teach people, to preach to people, to share the gospel, and, and, and formulate ideals that will help people flourish and not fail. And even the New York Times is finding out the same thing. Anyway, that's good news. Now let's do ridiculous news. Ridiculous. So the last segment today is it is the age of Pan Am. And I have been saying this for many, many months here on the deep end. And I talk about Pan Am as the capital and uh, the Hunger Games. You know, there's the 12 districts and then the special social elites that kind of rule and dictate over those other 12 districts. And um, I'm just talking about this regularly now because we have become Pan Am. There, the cultural elites have decided to give us advice about 40 year high inflation and six or $5 gas, an astoundingly shocking and obtuse article from Barron's absolutely confirms that we are living in the Hunger Games world. Here's the article from Barron's.com. Inflation stings most if you earn less than $300,000 a year. Here's how to deal. Uh, who is this article for? <laughs> and how insulated do you have to be? To talk to Americans that earn less than three hundred thousand, I'm assuming the person earns more than three hundred thousand dollars a year. But who's writing it, and who are they writing to? Because what percentage of Americans make less than three hundred thousand dollars a year? Pretty much all of them. 
Like it's above 95% of Americans. That's more than nine out of 10 Americans earn less than $300,000 a year. But don't you worry, the capitalists, the capital people, not the capitalists, the capital people are here to help us poor district dwellers how to deal uh, to deal with inflation. And so let's get to the article because it's quite funny what they, what they recommend. This is, by the way, written by Teresa Gillarducci. Uh, she is the Schwartz Professor of Economics at the New School for Social Research. <sighs> Whenever I hear New School for Social Research, I instantly get alarmed. So she writes, to deal with gas prices, it's worth reconsidering public transportation if it's an option. Mm-hmm. Okay, fine. And then this one, when it comes to food, don't be afraid to explore. And instead of eating meat, she says, though your palate may not be used to it, tasty meat substitutes include vegetables where prices are only up 4% or lentils and beans, which are up 9%. Plan to cut out the middle creature and consume plants directly. It's a more efficient, healthier, and cheaper way to get calories. So don't eat meat, people. Don't eat meat, district dwellers. Eat lentils. Because after all, they're only almost 10% more than they were last year this time. Then she goes in for the kill. And I, I love this admission on her part. It's back to trust the science because science is on our side. Quote, try to be as flexible and creative as possible. Scientists tell us our brain plasticity will improve by trying novel things. There's an advantage to mixing up what you consume to cope with unusual price hikes, spikes. You become more resilient as you create a locus of control and interrogate your habits. So isn't that wonderful? This is just amazing. It's reminiscent of good old Dr. Fauci. I represent science. Yeah, trust the science. Yes, science! Because they have science, and so they know that the problem is not how the government is running. The problem is not with the president's failures and his domestic and international policy that is producing these incredible tax, uh, this incredible non-tax tax hike on you called inflation. That, that, by the way, that's what inflation is. Inflation is a non tax tax it's a tax that doesn't have the name tax in it that's how they get away with it because the more money they pump into the economy the more the, the more demand there is for fewer goods and then when you tell people don't go to work and stay at home and we'll pay you to do <clears throat> to do so those people don't produce anything and you know the rest of the story is where we are now 40-year high inflation and i saw actually on uh the social media a couple of days ago that they're even starting to put little notices on gas pumps to limit the n- amount of gas you can pay for at $125, $125 per Philip. Man, it's the 1970s all over again. <laughs> I never thought I'd live to see it again, but here we are. Cycles repeats, generational repeats. We've all talked about this already. In other words, districts stay in line, basically is what the article is saying. Trust us, we have science. We have science. I represent science. And gas prices, you know. Gas prices, way too. Gas prices, way too. Okay, anyway, you, you've just got to trust those who have science. Most ironically of all, this article about how to deal with inflation by eating lentils instead of meat, taking public transportation instead of owning a car and having freedom, and listening to the science on this, ironically, the Babylon Bee called this before it happened, which, by the way, happens on a regular basis. The Babylon Bee, the satirical news site, puts a satirical news item out, and then days or months or weeks later, the actual article comes out in real news, the, the same exact thing. So here's what the Babylon Bee posted as a March 10th headline, uh, 
quote, Biden administration suggests adding more water to your instant ramen to feel more full. <laughs> that was on March 10th. The article that we just read from was on March 13th. This is all just so poetic, it's not funny. Perhaps this is the real reason why the Babylon Bee was suspended from Twitter. They are the true prophets of our age, like Elijah and Amos before them, calling out the nonsense and the billionaire ruling class in the capital who claims to care about the little guy, but doesn't like to hear that they, in fact, have become the fools. That's the show, everybody. I hope it helps. I hope it keeps you rooted in Christ. I hope it makes you at least love the fact that you are not of this world. And if you would, support the channel so that we can continue to create this wonderful content for you. The Cash app is hashtag Tim Hatch Live or TimHatchLive.com slash support. Your support matters greatly. Tomorrow night, I am back with Bible. 7.30 p.m., Romans chapter 11, and I am going to talk about the remnant. God always has a remnant. I am so jazzed about tomorrow's content, I can't tell you. You want to tune in. Look, if you're all worked up about what's happening in culture today, don't worry about it. There's a there's a biblical answer to it all tomorrow coming on the deep end, and I, I deep dive, and I love how these two shows work together. So don't miss one or the other. Join me for both. Um, Potentially sad news, however, is that the deep end might have to take a two-week hiatus. I've got some personal things that I've got to attend to. Nothing good, really, uh, nothing bad, really, really good, actually. And I might be a little bit overwhelmed. More on that later. Just follow our social media accounts, if you will, to make sure that you're up to date. What are those social media accounts? Follow them at Tim Hatch Live or forward slash Tim Hatch Live at all your favorite social media sites. Leave a review on the podcast app because that helps make my day and get this message out. I'm so glad that you were here. It was an absolute pleasure bringing this content to you. If you see something, if you see something, say something because you've got a voice and we got to call the wolves wolves so that we can help the sheep. God bless you. Take care.